But just because something's familiar doesn't mean that it's actually good for you. To get out of your own way, you probably need to handle the baggage that you're carrying. And so when we start to pull down the walls and explore outside the walls we set in our minds, it gives us the opportunity to truly find what we want, our soul is called to. We know that it's possible, but I don't know that everyone recognizes that they know it because uh, of the fear of change. It's recognizing that and then controlling what you do with it. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Ben Pakulski. As always, we, I at Muscle Intelligence, aspire to bring you the best information in the world to help you live your greatest life in a body you love. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Organifi, a longtime sponsor of the podcast because it works. We use it. Organifi Green is particularly useful for someone who isn't getting all their vegetables. Not only does it taste amazing, but you're getting organic, really, really high quality superfoods to ensure your body is getting the nutrients it needs to help your body get the minerals and ultimately feel great. If you want to be energized, if you want a, a treat that truly tastes amazing, head over to Organifi.com slash muscle and get hooked up with 20% off for a limited time only. Um, they also have a great red product, which is ultimately beets and berries that ultimately can help cardiovascular function and erectile function. Guys, head over to Organifi.com slash muscle and get hooked up with 20% off. Today's podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Bioptimizers magbreakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence to pick up the highest quality magnesium that exists anywhere. There's seven different types of magnesium in this one bottle. Why do you want seven different types of magnesium? Ultimately, each one has an influence on a different aspect of the system. So certain ones work on the nervous system, certain ones work for the muscles, certain work in the digestive tract and every other system. They also have different rates of absorption. So your body doesn't get bombarded with too much magnesium at once. It actually has almost like a slow dripping effect, which is very, very useful. Bioptimizers also has an incredible array of really, really high quality products that you guys have heard me talk about before from Masszymes to their patented P3OM probiotic, hydrochloric acid, Capex, so many amazing products that you guys can benefit from literally the entire line of their incredible products over at bioptimizers.com. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S. And you can use the code MUSCLE10 to get hooked up on your next order. Ladies and gents, thanks for being here. appreciate you as always. If you're not already subscribed to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, do so now and share this podcast with at least one person that you know and love who wants to live their greatest life in a body that they love. People want results, and you know this coming from the fitness industry, people want the results that they want without the work to get there. Totally. Right? It's the same thing in health and fitness. You can go to the best gym in the world, the best trainer with the best plan, but if you don't follow it, nothing happens. And then you can't be pissed at the trainer. You can't be pissed at the gym. You got to, yeah. ultimately, it's responsibility. Parenting is that is that same thing, man. We signed up for a long tail game of consistently pouring into another human being. Um, and regardless of the fact that if it's work or if it's what you planned, again, kind of control your emotions, wrap your mind around, well, that's just the way the world is now. This is who I've got in front of me. 
And so what do I have to do to make the best thing happen for, for him or her? You know, we have to do that as parents, man. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, man. It seems like, and fitness is the perfect example. People don't actually want to get in shape. They don't actually want to be fit. They just want to make themselves feel not guilty about being fat. Yes. So they go to the gym, they pay for the gym membership. They probably buy healthy foods and vegetables and throw them in the garbage. They don't go to the gym, but they yeah. can at least rationalize to themselves. Oh, you know, I tried, but they never, it's not, it's never really effort, right? That's, right. That's the same thing with children. It's like, oh, I'm just going to get them to the point that they're school age and I'm going to dump them off with some teacher who doesn't give a shit about them and let them go and, and fend for themselves. That's yes, what it sir. seems like. Yes, sir. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's, um, and, and, you know, I don't vilify people for thinking that way. Um, I only want to highlight the fact that I think that is the human condition. And then once you know that, then it's your responsibility to get out of that. Right. right. You see it play out in so many different things. You know, it's the whole, I don't know, you know, whatever the stat people always throw around and 95% of businesses fail within the first five years. And maybe that's true. And I think the reason that that's true, it's not because that many people have shitty business ideas. It's because they go, wait a second, it's hard to run a business. Yeah. It's really time intensive to run a business. And sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's really, really hard. And I absolutely, it's the last thing I feel like doing that day. But those that do it anyway are the ones that end up getting the, you know, getting the fruit from that. Yeah. That's where the fear-based uh, economy comes from, right? It's like, Yes, the more fearful people are, the more they're the more they're only thinking about themselves and meeting their own needs. Like they can't they can't possibly have the energy and attention span to think about anything outside of themselves other than like self preservation. So they just go, yeah. I'm gonna off I'm gonna off gas this this responsibility of my children and anything else just because I have to focus on me because I'm constantly in this state of fear and overwhelm. Even when it comes to physique enhancement, it's like step one in change is awareness. So learning how to control mm -hmm. the alarm bells, right? So yep. If I'm in a situation where I'm fear driven and, and I can't control my reaction, it's a react, it's like an immediate innate reaction. I have no control over that. Then everything I do, it, it, food, drinking, any of these, these uh, external reactive uh, responses ultimately is not within the realm of my control of my conscious right. decision making. So as a parent, it's the same thing that holds true, right? It's like, what are you doing to learn to control your physiology so that you can then control your mind and control the ability to make decisions? I think people, uh, I take for granted that you and I can probably just you know, be conscious enough in the moment to make an intentional decision. I assume that a large percentage of the population simply doesn't do that. They don't have the ability to be conscious of the decisions they're making. We're fighting an uphill battle, right? They're very reactive. They're they're just, you know, the alarm bells are constantly going off. Right. And they can't help but be angry and fearful and and all these other emotions that are simply not helping anybody. That's right. Well, and so you're touching on the fact that we are emotional beings and, and some people, you know, okay, we got to get around that. You got to get, no, the reality is you're an emotional being. We are, we are designed that way, period. So that's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that. And it's okay to have those emotions pop up. It's okay to be angry that something happens. It's okay to, you know, all of that is fine. But again, it's recognizing that and then controlling what you do with it. Recognizing that just made me angry. Um, but what am I going to do with that? Am I going to use that to then inform me what my next step is and, and how to navigate that? Or am I going to use that to just um, respond to and lash out to and affect everybody else around me, right? Like we get to choose that response. And I love that you bring up, you know, kind of the, the physique part. I mean, that's as you're going through, it's a daily discipline. It's every single day. And you're having to take all those external influences every day and figure out, okay, how do I want this to look for the next iteration of what I'm doing with my body? And what am I willing to test out? And how does that look? But it's, it's that thought behind it. And I think you're right. 
Uh, most people just go with the emotion without any thought. And, and that's where we got to get people, you know, uh, moving forward the right way. Yeah. So that's one of the primary premises I teach, man, is like learning to control your states of arousal, right? Yeah. So if we're way up here and we're constantly on, on high alert, like there's a, there's a snake or a lion in the corner, there's no way yep. that I can make good, intelligent decisions. So you know, the, my listeners are, are kind of inculcated by now of like, hey, man, learn to control your arousal states. Learn if you need to be highly aroused, like you're going into the gym or you're going into a confrontation, that's great. Let's use that. Let's intentionally uh, access that. Right. When I'm at home, I want to be it's the idea of the warrior and the monk, right? It's like yeah. when I'm ready to train or get after it, I want to be a warrior. And when I'm at home with my kids. Yes. It's that. So one of the, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a catch, I won't say it's a catchphrase, but it's kind of a concept that gained a lot of popularity for a long time was um, the concept of, you know, don't compartmentalize and don't compartmentalize your feelings. And, um, and I think that's actually going to get us into a dangerous spot. I think the need to be able to recognize those emotions and go, okay, cool. I'm going to go ahead and put that away. And I'm going to bring that back out when I can use that emotion. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're touching on, right? Because Ben- yeah, Is it useful right now, right? Is it useful right now? Exactly. Ben, as you know, you're the same guy, but every version of you is going to be a little different. Ben as the podcast host is going to look one way. And then when Ben goes to the gym, you're still you. But it's a different version of you. It's a different iteration of you. When you're Ben as the father, all of those are just amplified pieces of you. And that's where that compartmentalization comes in to truly be a, a superpower, right? Where you can utilize those emotions. Yeah. One statement that I heard uh, that really resonates with me is, um, who I am is not the same as what I do. And I think as soon as I heard that, that really resonated with me, right? It's like, who I am and my soul doesn't, is not the same as what I do or what I've done in my past or what's been done to me. Those are just parts, right? Those are just a story or parts of, of the play, say, for example, right? There's multiple acts in a play. And if we can view it like that, I think that's a really empowering view. Does that sound about parallel to what you're saying? Yeah. And, you know, there's even another aspect. Uh, I remember when I was back in the 1980s, not wanting to listen to my inner voice, which was helping me so much and thinking, yeah, but if I change, then who am I going to be? So there's a real fear of change, which is a block in itself, isn't it? Uh, that says, wait, I, I know myself as I am now. Will I be someone different? And the answer, the simple answer is no, you'll be the same, essentially the same person without problems, you know, without the limitations. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that comes up for me often is um, just curiosity around whether or not people actually know why they make the decisions they make, right? So we all make decisions based on mostly unconscious processing. And I'm curious if that, you know, kind of resonates with your belief, or do you think people know why they make decisions and we have the ability to choose them? It's kind of getting into the conversation around free will and ultimately consciousness, right? If someone is unconscious of their thoughts and their behaviors uh, and their moods and their emotions, obviously they're not making their decisions, right? Something else is making their decisions. But I'm curious if you believe it's possible to transcend to the point where we can actually begin to be completely aware and conscious of our own decision-making. You know, I think that on some level, people, everyone knows that it's possible. I mean, look how we gravitate to movies about superheroes, you know, um, we know that it's possible, but I don't know that everyone recognizes 
that they know it because uh, of the fear of change, for one thing. Uh, who am I going to be if I change? But but those fears lurk way down in those low and slow frequencies where we have to deal with them. I think that most, you know, I don't want to say most, a lot of people, if not possibly the majority of people, are just not self-aware to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're not noticing that, uh, for example, gee, I just saw the same pattern of consciousness in this person. And now here's this person coming into my life and they're showing the same pattern. And then a third one comes and maybe it takes three for them to say, you know, this is all the same pattern. Is there, am I attracting this? I mean, that's a leap, you know, that's a leap. Most people will just say, I don't, and push, push away another person and don't realize that there's a repeating pattern because there's an attractive power in them. And um, there's actually uh, an article in a book that I read many years ago uh, called The Stages uh, of Evolution or something like that. It was the Stages of Enlightenment. And um, the first stage was that something would happen to make people aware of multiple dimensions of reality. So for me, that was an incredible healing on the interstate while I was driving a car where I filled with light and I could never go back and say, I made that happen because that just was not possible. This flowing, pouring light and all the realizations that came. So that, that was something really extraordinary. Um, Maybe for somebody else, it's going to be that they get into a car wreck and have a near-death experience. Um, something big has to happen. Or maybe maybe their parent dies and they notice that there's a little bit of light around the body at the moment of death, the death flash, I think it's called. Something has to happen. And until that happens, people walk around in the sleep of ignorance and there's no chance of evolution. Um, you know, unless unless they have some, I mean, I guess they can have some kind of religion that they grew up in, that they're told this. Now, most people, as they age, will reject that. But, but then still, there's a seed planted, uh, a consciousness that, well, is there a God? Oh, there can't be a God. But what if there was, you know, and something happens and they call out and then there's a response and they go, well, maybe there is. But once they start on that realization of the existence of multiple realities, then they move toward uh, the stage of recognizing patterns, that there are repeating patterns in their lives. And their mind literally expands in terms of brainwaves. They start to look with their delta, which is always searching the field as well as searching this everyday world to find out um, what can't be known on the level of thinking mind. Um, so, so then a search, search starts. And once the search starts, then the realizations of patterns and uh, repetitious um, behaviors in them and in other people, and they become more self-aware. Once they become more self-aware and they see these multiple levels, then there arises in them a sense that, oh, I'm not alone. 
there's something else here and I'm bigger than just this bad behavior I just showed at this party when I threw a drink in someone's face because they stepped on my toe (laughs) or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and, And then it just goes from there. You know, the sense that, oh, something loves me. Oh, I'm part of something bigger. And then you can go all the way to enlightenment. But something has to typically be either planted within them uh, or to happen to them before people start waking up. I mean, how many people, how many times have you been through the grocery store and had somebody with the cart zooming down the aisle, running over your foot um, and, you know, been completely unconscious of anything but the bubble that they live in? A lot of people walk around like that. Alternatively, you walk into a grocery store and the person next to you smiles and, you know, you feel a sense of connection with them. Totally different realities. If I'm objectively moving towards something in this world and uh, I think I'm on the right path, I'm doing something really well, whether it be a relationship, whether it be business, whether it be whatever, any, any, anything that's important to someone, and they sit down with themselves in meditation and they're getting a different message. How do you navigate that? That's tough. <laughs> and it does happen. Um, Anna Wise at one time went to uh, went and worked with the CEOs of a company and all of their top management. And she took them down into meditation and they discovered that they didn't really want to work there. <laughs> so she didn't have a job for too long with them. Uh, and that does happen. Um, and you just have to make a choice, I think, between what the ego wants and what the deeper self wants. And there's a sense of knowing, uh, a feeling uh, of truth when, when you get a message like that. And I think that the brain, for one thing, when it gets, when it's in an optimal state and it gets a, a message, uh, starts to yearn for that optimal state. And the psyche, says, oh, this is what I really want. Uh, and, and then that can become your intention to manifest that different life, that different relationship. I think that uh, the key to living a happy, successful life is to integrate the ego with the deeper self. And so that those are not two separate levels of consciousness, but united uh, in a, a single Uh, goal. And when they are, you know, giving, giving the deeper mind what it is that it has said it wanted, uh, makes the ego listen and say, Oh, I can have that. And so then the ego starts to listen a little more. And then so you get this uh, more of an integration of the two toward the one. One thing that comes up for me is this idea of discernment, right? So it seems pretty likely in this world that uh, a lot of our subconscious desires are placed there by somebody else, right? By by media, by manipulation, by the story that we're told about what we love and what we like as children, right? If in order to receive love and acceptance as children, we're obviously acting in certain ways that may not be in reality or, or in alignment with our soul, right? So I'm curious how you suggest navigating that. As, so as someone obviously who's an expert um, meditator, it's probably a lot easier to discern between that's pretty clearly a message versus this person over here is going, 
you know, the only thing I, my soul is thinking about right now is a cheeseburger. So how do we ultimately, <laughs> how do we ultimately discern that? You know, you ask such wonderfully deep and um, high questions. Um, well, let me refer back to what I said before uh, about not wanting to uh, listen to my inner self when I was in the 1980s, um, because I I can really relate to that because I figured, you know, I've made all these mistakes. I've followed my heart, but I hadn't really been following my heart. I'd been following conditioned patterns, right. you know, in my relationships, what felt like home to me. Well, what felt like home was love that's chaotic and painful uh, because that was my home life. And, um, and so, but when I started listening to my inner self through uh, meditative writing, I felt a sense of light and excitement. Uh, and I, I said, oh, that, that, that's very different. That, what if I, well, let me choose that way. And then that turned out to be the best way. And then my ego said, hmm, okay, well, I'll go along the next time. And the next time I followed the thing that made me happy. And so the part of you that is your soul, I mean, you are a soul in a physical form, but that part of you uh, gets excited, and it's a different kind of excitement from, oh, that good-looking uh, person uh, working out in the gym. You can you feel where that is. That's generally in the lower chakras, you know, <laughs> down there in the gonad mm-hmm. area. Yeah. But but if what your soul has said is that don't look for that person, let the right person come to you once you have cleaned and cleared some of this pain so that you can attract someone who's going to appeal to your heart and your uh and your higher self then that's a different feeling and you can feel that feeling up in your heart and your spiritual heart rather than in your pain feel filled lower heart if this is making any sense yeah yeah i just don't know that the average person, it may not make sense to the average person, right? Because like, what, what does that mean? Because they may never have experienced it before, right? It's, you yeah. know, if you've never seen the color blue, you can't describe the color blue. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's an interesting reality because people are like, oh, I think I'm with the right person. I think I'm doing the right thing. Um, but never actually spending time feeling or, or experiencing what that, uh, you know, that deeper level of awareness is, is to them. But see, I think they can, Ben. Um, I think that if people sit in the quiet and uh, and look at different alternatives, different possible choices, that they'll get a certain feeling. And that certain feeling will come with a little lift of exultation. And they'll know. They'll know. You're this guy who's walking around and creating better lives for thousands of people now, maybe millions of people. And so I'm going to walk through that, you know, that process in your mind of how that began, how you went from, you know, when we first met, you're, you're still crushing it, but you've definitely taken it to a whole new level. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny you say that. So Ben, you've known me long enough to know that it's fair to say that I was playing small. When you're playing small and crushing it because everyone else around you is playing small, like it's not impressive. You know what I mean? Like on a peewee league team, the, the best kid 
is only impressive because everyone else is like just slightly below him. Not because he's got any magical power. Yeah. You take that kid to high school, you know, university and beyond pro leagues and you see like how, and, and so I was playing small and I was fortunate enough to understand business, but I always kind of stayed in the weeds and stayed in the trenches. I was always looking down and in instead of up and out. And leaders look up and out. And once I realized that around 2013, that I need to be able to embrace my leadership role, which means letting, learning to let go of the day-to-day and operating my business, Fit Body Bootcamp, our international fitness franchise. And, and I had all these ideas, like, like all of us. If you're an entrepreneur and you know this, you're an entrepreneur, you have like a million ideas where you would need three lifetimes to be able to bring them to fruition. And the reality is, unless you can clone yourself through a team, through a leadership team, um, you won't be able to scale and, sh- and structure that thing to its fullest uh, level. And so in 2013, I had this massive anxiety attack. Dude, I thought it was a heart attack, to be honest with you. And when I realized later that it was a anxiety attack, not a heart attack, and that I'm going to be fine, but clearly I was doing too much. I was the human bottleneck in my growing franchise. Uh, I was almost forced to explore another alternative in terms of who else can help me. And that's when I realized there's very competent people who know uh, what my vision is, who are willing to get on board with my vision and be able to execute on a daily basis and keep me out of the weeds and allow me to be vision forward. So what are the things you're teaching your son now to guide him on the fast path to becoming the type of person who's getting paid for who he is? So, so some of the things I'm teaching him is like, it's going to make sense for you to become first a technician, then an expert, and then an authority, and then a celebrity. In fact, with my coaching clients, I always draw a little triangle like this. And I say, look, the expert at the bottom, a technician at the bottom, uh, like your, your medical doctor, your general practitioner, makes about 150000 a year. And then a specialist will make 500000 a year. You know, a thoracic surgeon, a brain surgeon, uh, orthopedic surgeon, because they specialize in an area. And then if they write a book, they become an authority. And when you're an authority, now you're, you're able to get endorsements. Uh, organizations are willing to give you equity in their companies or in their thing or service or product. And then, of course, if you can celebritize yourself. And way back then, you and I come from an era where if you wanted to be a celebrity, you had to sh- somehow end up on TV. And unless you know an agent and then know how to get on the TV networks, audition, you're screwed. Today, you can use this little device, man, and become a celebrity through Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. It is literally, you know, you've had this happen. You walk through an airport, you walk in somewhere, and I was like, holy crap, like that's Ben Pakulski. Oh my God, man, I watch you, I follow you, changed my life. The same things you would say to someone on TV, you hear now in person because you were able to manufacture a celebrity status in a niche. The reality is we don't need to become, and I told my son this, I'm like, you don't need to become the rock where you're known by all everywhere you go. And therefore you can't enjoy a regular life on the streets. I can be anonymous anywhere I want to be. And then as soon as I step on the stage in the spaces that I'm in, I'm a superstar. I'm a celebrity because I went from a technician to a specialist, to an authority after writing my book, to then creating a celebrity of myself using social media 
and building a mass following. And that really is the magical formula because when you have eyeballs that you can control, you can control the money. And when you control the money, you can control the meaning. Like what meaning do you want to assign to your life? In my case, Shriner Children's Hospital, Toys for Tots, Compassion International. We help those organizations to the tune of seven figures a year, every year, because I'm very money driven so that I can donate to the meaningful causes that bring value to my life. Right. So let's say you have a 30 to 35 year old man right now who <clears throat> just finished his twenties. He's got, he's, he's experiencing some level of, of success, right? He's at the bottom. He's an expert or, or wherever you say was at the bottom there at the, of yeah. the bottom of the truck. Technician. Yeah. Technician. And so he's, he's experiencing success. He's doing well, but he wants to take it to the next level. He's, he's realizing that he's getting in his own way. He's realizing he's playing small, what, what processes, what daily habits, what are your suggestions on like, all right, man, get out of your own way, stop playing small, step up? Yeah, that's a good question. Because if you're in that, ex, you know, that technician role uh, space at the bottom of that triangle, well, before you can level up, you have to get out of your own way. You nailed it. And to get out of your own way, you probably need to handle the baggage that you're carrying. You need to actually take out the stuff out of the box. Again, we guys are really good at compartmentalizing stuff. Take the stuff out of the box, look at it and say, what has this done to me? What kind of filters am I looking at life through? What kind of filters am I hearing life through? Yeah. Uh, filters of I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm, 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 I'm meant to fail. And they need to first start working on themselves in terms of healing through the trauma. And let me give you some stats just so it'll kind of hit home. One out of every three people have had either physical, mental, or emotional abuse in their life. One out of every four people have had some kind of sexual abuse, rape, or molestation. Both of those categories, the fight or flight part of your brain lights up in a CAT scan. When you're in fight or flight, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, your reptilian mind begins to scan for threats instead of opportunities and abundances. And so that's the state that I was living in. And then we begin to Literally, there's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score. I forget the author's name. Bissell Vendor or something. Bam. Thank you. Thank you. God, I love talking to you because you're so fucking squared away and intelligent and tuned in. And he talks about how men who have had sexual abuse, especially, some will grow up to get tatted up and use steroids and get really big and muscular with the attempt of I'm to protect my inner child. And I look at myself and I'm like, holy crap, he, he wrote a chapter on me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Was yeah. he in my backseat? He wrote this chapter on me and I realized I hadn't healed from what happened to me, Ben. I had just simply created armor and we will create armor through either muscle or money or business or status, but that's temporary. And it's going to sneak up and that box will open up. And as my therapist, Kevin said, he goes, it's like you're holding a beach ball at waist level in the pool, like underwater. You can hold that beach ball for as long as you want, but sooner or later, you're going to get a little tickle on your nose or a little itch that you have to scratch. And when you do, that beach ball is going to pop out and that's your rage, your anger, your self-sabotage, or you can let the air out of that ball and process through the trauma so you can finally get out of your own way. Yeah, man. And that trauma also leads to trying to make the trauma um, feel less substantial, right? So if my brain's always lighting up, I'm looking for some way to make myself feel better. And whether that be with sex or drugs or alcohol or food, it's some external ex escape mechanism that, you know, so many of us have 
uh, you know, obviously went down that path. And yep. that seems to be another common way out is, is we're taught from a young age, these external coping strategies, right? You're, t- you're taught not to deal with your stuff, not to feel your emotions. Hey, let's go and look for some solution outside of ourselves. I'd love to have you walk us through like how you've taken these lessons now and turn yourself into a leader. Maybe first you could define your, uh, your definition of a leader, what that looks like, and then how you've been able to step into it in the last few years. Sure. My definition of a leader is, <clears throat> to me is very simple. Uh, an individual that's got a vision that's so big, so grand, and so impactful that he or she must recruit others who think, feel, and operate the same way in order to accomplish that. Like That's what a leader is, a, a very clear vision of what he or she wants, and then to recruit like-minded savages uh, to be able to work as a team to, there's a chip on my shoulder again, but to work as a team to to, to execute that. Yep. And so a leader, therefore, must be great at communication, must show up as not a hypocrite. In other words, not just, hey, you guys show up on time, but I show up a few late, a few minutes late to meetings. You guys show up prepared, but I show up a little unprepared and therefore take a few extra minutes to get my notes together. So great communicator, uh, promise, uh, meet, keeps, makes a promise and keeps a promise, is able to be decisive, not always make the right decision, but be decisive, make a decision. And if you need to course correct, course correct. And then to be emotionally resilient and not reactive. Oftentimes we become very emotionally reactive as leaders. And when we are, we shut people down when we snap at them. But when we are resilient or we take a step back and then we respond instead of react, people are very open to that. So for me, a leader is that. Now, what was the second part of the question? Um, how you've managed to step into that. So like, obviously defining it is important for you. So that that's sometimes the key that's missing for people is they don't actually know what it means to, to, to be it. Therefore they're not able to step into it. But I'm curious what you've done in the last few years to really allow yourself to, to, you know, overcome the limitations you had previously to step into this leadership role. Yeah. So it's funny. So the way I define it is, okay, once you're, once you're a decent leader, because leadership is also like, you're never a 10. Levels, you're, right? It, there's yeah. levels to it. Exactly. You're, 10 is like your work in progress. And I always say that sixes and sevens cannot lead eights and nines. And so you better become an eight, nine on your way to a 10 so you can lead higher level people. But once you have the higher level people who believe in your vision or are on board with it, there's three things that need to do. Clarity of vision, vision, mission, and values. So I'm sure you've experienced some high achievers who use their uh, not enoughness, to use your term, or their inadequacy to drive performance. So, so like you said, this this person is driving the Mercedes, they have the high end job. Mm-hmm. That's they they know that's driving their performance. What do you do with people who don't want to let go of that because they think it may be their edge? Personally, yeah. I deal with like yourself, do with a lot of pro athletes, a lot of high achievers who don't want to let that go. That uh, what they say is their edge or the chip on their shoulder. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and and when it's all you've known, it does seem to be the only access to success, right? And this is the trouble. Like when I'm when I'm literally guiding somebody to this awakening moment, and when they see it, when they're like, holy shit, for 40, 30, 50, 60, whatever you're, you know, it's it's invariably a long time before someone finds me. When they see that they've lived in that prison for all that time, it's scary to step out of it. Do you, do you remember the, the movie Shawshank Redemption? Yep. 
Powerful movie, right? And uh, I forgot the character's name, but just this adorable old man who feeds the crow, right? What was his name? Well, was it? Uh, not, so not uh, Morgan Freeman was Red. The other yeah. guy was, um, I forget. Um, I can't remember. But, I remember. But they were the three main characters, right? There was nope. obviously Tim Robbins uh, and then Morgan Freeman and then this older gentleman. Nope. And he'd been in prison for like, I don't know what it was, but his term was something like seven, 60 years, right? And he comes out. And now he's like late 70s or whatever it is. And so I feel like it was such a beautiful cinematography kind of example of this, the comfort of our discomfort, where the quintessential comfort zone, even though a comfort zone to me is completely discomforting, if people really understand that, meaning it's a familiarity, but just because something's familiar doesn't mean that it's actually good for you. So here we see this, this old man who comes out of prison, which, you know, should in theory, be this euphoric event, right? And he gets a job packing bags, right? He's packing bags, by the way. Brooks, that's it. Thank you. Packing bags at the grocery store, right? And and he's so conditioned that he puts his hand up like, you know, sir, can I go to the bathroom? And, you know, the manager of the grocery store is like, dude, you you go to the bathroom whenever you want. You don't need to ask for permission. So there's a reflection of that conditioned habit, right? But he doesn't know what to do with his life. Right. Because he's so accustomed to being within the confines of that structure of the prison. That's all he's known. And so, albeit a sad reflection, you start to see the power of conditioning. And, you know, I don't want to get into the politics, but I think that, that's exactly what's been going on over the last two years yep. is there's some very sinister people who know how to appeal to these primal patterns of fear, then take away a sense of belonging. Uh, which is, you know, stay at home and all the separation and the sort of social distance and then take away a sense of worth and you can't have your job, you're not essential. And before you know it, people are desperate, right? So they'll do whatever they're told. But the same in life where for my athletes, like it is scary when you step out of those confines because it's unfamiliar. So that moment that I show someone, the first experience they always have is of a lightness in their body. I always see their respiratory rate change immediately. I can see their breathing. I say, that was a nice breath. They're like, oof, oh, I, can't, I can't remember the last time I had such a big inhale or exhale, right? There's a tension that is released. The tension being a reflection of the world of survival that they've been in. Like the context we live in as human beings is fundamentally one of survival. And if you're in a state of survival, then you have to carry some degree of tension and you're looking out for potential threats. Once that is completely reconciled and you step into this world of complete freedom, it's like, wow, I didn't even know that existed. Similar to what I went through, like, you know, to your question of like, what was my personal event? So, but at that moment, what we've relied on as mechanisms or resources for success start to become moot, right? It, it, it doesn't apply anymore. I can't make my dad wrong to become successful for the athlete, you know, or I can't use my nemesis in my sport as my excuse to want to stick it to him, you know. Now, we still can, and actually it becomes exponentially more powerful, but when you come from a place of love and freedom versus fear and survival, it is so more powerful. It's just they're not, it's not a language that they're so well-versed in yet. So there can be initially some hesitation you know, where they're so accustomed to success because of the screw you attitude or I'll prove you wrong mindset. But once they tap into the depth of true abundance on the other side of survival, then they never look back. 
It's funny because I'm taking a look at this from the other side, right? You're looking at it from the psychological side. I'm looking at it from the physiological side and kind of the mind-body interface. So when I'm trying to change somebody's mind, the first yeah. thing I'm going to do is change their physiological state, right? So like you said, you change their their mental framing and their mind let go or their body let go. Yeah. I'm going the other way. I'm going to say, let's, let's see if we can take your body out of this and let your body come into this relaxed physiological state and then yeah. learn to change the emotion within that. And I think yeah. it's interesting to see how the same ultimate result can be achieved in both ways, because ultimately the, the you know, the inextricable nature of the mind and body is, you know, just part of our reality, right? Yeah. So they, they can't be separated. And I think it's important for our audience to understand that it's like, if you're yeah. experiencing a psychological trauma or a mental state, that's something outside of what you want to experience. There's multiple ways to approach it, but you can change it. Yeah. No, and I love the fact that you understand that. You know, it's like the mind-body connection to me, they're actually synonymous. You know, they're just different levels of density. They're inextricably one sort of continuum, right? So the subtle being the mind, the narratives, but then the emotions sort of being the bridge. There's something that we call a feeling, which is really now their chemistry that goes on that we feel in the body, right? But they they are an inextric, uh, inextricably connected continuum. So yes, when we make, it's why someone who they go and watch uh, Sunset, right? Like Huberman probably spoke to you about that. I forget the details on the podcast, but when you have this panoramic vision versus when we're looking at a phone, you know, and this like sort of laser-like concentration, mm-hmm. we go into parasympathetic versus sympathetic, which is why most people are in a constant, you know, mild to severe state of sort of fight or flight, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, just simply because of the way they're actually using their visual systems. So that could be a physiological response to an environment where, oh, I'm looking at something that is so vast, that is so open which actually to me speaks to the fact that they're, they don't have any attention on a potential threat because everything is so revealed, right? If I'm looking at my phone only, then my brain is like, okay, you're really focused on something, which means I don't know what the hell is going on in my periphery. Right. So well, I'm like going to be hunting, right? If you're yes. hunting, seeing everything and you see that you see the animals like, boom, focus and go. Right. So yeah. when you do that, you know, your, your eyes are going to the, the visual system is going to change. The breath is going to change. The muscle tone is going to change. The heart rate's going to change. Right. Yeah. It's the entire physiological response to that narrowing of the visual field. And it's an instantaneous cascade, right? What most people don't know is that they're constantly in that state just by virtue of looking at a device. So we become so locked into something. So our physiology now becomes a norm, right? So if you do it consistently over time, then it's no longer something that stands out as an as an abnormality. It becomes your actual state ongoingly. So people feel relief as a byproduct of letting go of what became normal. <laughs> what I want people to understand is no, being relieved and being in a state of calm and attentiveness, like I'm very alert, but I'm very calm and relaxed. That should be the quote unquote norm, more in a parasympathetic, parasympathetic state. Mm-hmm. So, but unfortunately, over time, something becomes so conditioned and it becomes so well practiced that it's a habit that it also becomes normalized. Uh, I can remember working for this VIP couple who are making films and they're, they're basically the head of their company. You know, she sort of created this beast by virtue of the fact that she was so uh, accommodating. And so she did everything for this couple to the point of her own demise. But as you know, when we're in a real state of survival and pure fight or flight, then we're running on, you know, the norepinephrines, the, the adrenalines, the cortisols to keep us going. 
So the first time she had a break when I started working with them was about three months into the job. And I would always get my day off a week or whatever. And I, you know, this is how much training can people do, right? As you know, like I'd see them for a couple of hours and then the rest of the day was my own. So, but she was there constantly. And I, I distinctly remember seeing this pattern at play in real life, which is at the end of the three months, everybody knew she was exhausted and depleted, but she kept going until she had a break of a weekend. And that weekend, she was so incredibly sick. Right. So at the moment that she was able to actually come out of that state of uh, fight or flight, her body could do the necessary repair that it had been trying to do for as long as she was just continually, you know, working and working and working 24 seven. So understanding how the mind and the body do flow between one another to me is pivotal. If you're going to have any sense of vitality, health or wellness, and certainly a long, you know, hopefully radiant life. And I love that you're helping people understand how you can come from out to in, and I'm doing it more from in to out. And this is by no means a superior thing, but I think you would probably assert, I've seen people have beautiful physical practices of meditation, pranayama to understand breathing. They may do all the health optimization stuff of cold therapies. But if you don't deal with the subconscious, then it's still going to be transitory. You know, it helps. But you, you've got to undo these deep-seated narratives that create the internal suffering, as far as I'm concerned. When you find the joy that exists in you, you're finding the path to fulfillment, right? So many of us are, are uh, imparted with belief systems. We're, we're, we're um, handed down belief systems that have worked for our family, have worked for our ancestors. And they're just handed down to you as, as things that you automatically take on. And sometimes that those belief systems allow you or, or force you maybe to live inside a box. And so you live in this box of like, well, this is the way the world is. And this is the way I have to think. And the rigidity that lives in that box sometimes gives us safety, right? It gives us security because like that we know this is, we know we're comfortable inside this box. We know that no one's going to like mess with me inside this small belief system. But as soon as you start to take down those walls, now you're making yourself less safe, right? Sometimes subjectively. And, and sometimes the illusion of safety needs to be acknowledged, right? There's, there's no such thing as safety in life. Nothing is ultimately safe. And so when we start to pull down the walls and explore outside the walls we set in our minds, it gives us the opportunity to truly find what we want, our soul is called to, right? So when your soul is called to something, you just, you guys all know it. When, when you hit it, you know it. And it's something you don't have to be told to do. You don't have to be reminded to do. You feel so energized and full of joy when you're doing it. And to be honest, some of you guys may be sitting there going, I don't know if I've ever experienced that. Like, I don't know if I've ever had that. But my um, rebuttal or my response is, I bet you have. But maybe at some point in your life, you were told that your opinion didn't matter or what you like is not important, do it this way anyways, or be like this anyways. This is the way you have to be. And when we're, we're very young, we're put into these molds. Why? Why are we put into the mold when we're young? To receive love, right? We ultimately, as a child, the only thing you want is love and acceptance. The only thing you want is love and acceptance, right? You want to be accepted by your family, you want to be accepted by your peers. And so what you start to do is you start to change who you are, so change your behaviors to receive love and acceptance. 
And so the more we do that, eventually that starts to become who we are, right? Or, or the identity that we create is a result of who we become in response to someone else's giving me love or not, conversely, taking away love, right? And I'm, I'm very aware of this in my life with how I grew up and how love was conditional for me, right? As a child, if I did something great, I received love and affection. And if I didn't, I didn't. I would be completely rejected and I became very lonely. So my actions really became focused around, okay, well, who do I need to be to appease my mother? Who do I need to be to appease my grandmother, my father, whomever, right? And so I started developing these characteristics or these traits that weren't me. They weren't what I love to do, but they were what got me immediate gratification, instant gratification from my family or from my peers, right? Sometimes you guys can probably all think of things you've done in your life that like, I didn't want to do that. I did it because everyone else was doing it and they kind of didn't want to be left out, right? So this becomes the conversation around authenticity versus acceptance, right? You guys want to think about something and write that down, authenticity versus acceptance. So are you being authentic? Or are you aspiring for acceptance? Because when you're, when you're aspiring, to, aspiring to be accepted, you may not be, may not be being authentic. And the absence of authenticity prevents you from finding your purpose, right? It prevents you from finding your fulfillment that exists in every one of us. So when you think through, okay, what periods of my life, including today, have I chosen the path of acceptance, like I want to fit in or I want this person to like me, right? Versus like just being authentically you. And the conversation on authentically you can be complex, can it? Because who the hell am I? What is authentically me? I don't know. Like, am I am I being me in this situation or that situation? Like, what situation is authentically you? Because I I know that I'm different in situations, right? I'm different with my children than I am with my team. I'm different with my team than I'm with my family. Like, different with I don't know. Like, everyone seems to be slightly different versions of. And again, in in the for the most part, the same. But like, I think I should be different with my daughter than I'm with you guys, right? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, and nobody's ever really told me differently. And so for me, the the removal of the, you know, to use the metaphor, the masks, right? The removal of the masks and just being able to be completely comfortable and confident being loved or not loved for who I am, acknowledging that anyone's perception or um, feelings toward me, their, their um Judgments of me has absolutely nothing to do with me, right? And everything to do with them. So the day that we can learn to start accepting who we are is the day we can start finding what truly fulfills us. Because ultimately, guys, fulfillment is just joy, right? If you literally just break it down, what is fulfillment? Well, it's living toward a higher purpose for something that feels important to you and ultimately just brings you joy. Like, I want to do the things that helps other people in life. I want to do that. I want to do things. So if you want to hear my purpose in life, my fulfillment, here's, here, here it is in a nutshell. I grew up with the absence of a role model, the absence of a leader. I didn't have one. Nobody taught me how to eat. Nobody had to taught me how to learn. Nobody taught me how to read. Nobody had to taught me, taught me how to do anything. I suffered through the first 25 years of my life with nobody to lead me. And when I started, when I finally started to figure shit out, I was like, Oh my God, this isn't that hard. Why didn't somebody just tell me this? 
because nobody around me knew. Nobody under, around me understood finances. Nobody around me understood love. Nobody around me understood fitness. Nobody, they didn't understand anything. So I was just like, hey, man, go fend for yourself in this concrete jungle and figure it out. So luckily for me, I was, uh, well, let's say a kid who kept his mouth shut, shut and his ears open. I, I was an intuitive kid who learned a lot. And my purpose in life is to ultimately not let anyone feel like they're alone, right? It's to, it's to guide people down the path of realizing that whatever it is in front of you, there's someone before you that's done it. And we're here to support you with no, with no um, judgment and no, uh, no, nothing in return. Just like, hey, how can I support you through your challenges? That, that's what my life purpose has become. And it's really geared, and this is my, my challenges as a child, it's really geared toward men and their, and their children, right? Why is it geared toward men and their children? Because I didn't have that as a child. And I hated how I felt. And I don't ever want another child to feel the way I felt as a kid for my entire childhood, right? Completely alone, completely confused, no idea where to go. I was like, well, if I can help a dad or help a man have a better connection with his dad or his son or, or his community, his wife, then man, I want to do that. And, and because I, the suffering that I experienced, nobody should, right? And again, not this isn't meant to be about me, but that, that's guys where the fulfillment conversation goes is like, well, what were maybe some of your challenges that you experienced and uh, maybe still experience? And how can you start to look for who you are authentically? If we enjoy this podcast, if you did share with at least one person, you know, and love who ultimately is aspiring to train hard, train well, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and do that right now. So you never miss another amazing episode of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast with yours truly. Have an amazing day, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.